0: Hi, everybody. A quick message before we begin today's podcast. We have just released a free mini training called How to Work with Labor Pain to Have a Positive Birth Experience. Stay tuned for the end of the episode for more information. Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you, can live a better life not just physically but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice this podcast is sponsored by eco physiotherapy where their mission is to educate empower and rehabilitate you back to health without further ado please enjoy the show All right. Welcome back to our wonderful listeners. So today on the episode, we're going to be talking about how birth is not a medical condition or event. My guest today is Kylie Banks. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I think this is a really important topic to, um, you know, sort of jump jump into because, you know, when I think back to my my birth, it's it's sort of like feeling like there's going to be this medical need or, you know, the idea that because we birth in a hospital, it's like we have to have certain things in place. And I'm just really excited to kind of like bring things back to the basics and bring
1: things back to like nature. Yeah, how it was for a hundred million years.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So before we like dive right in, I figure, you know,
1: tell us a little bit about you and like what got you interested in birth? Yeah, so my name is Kylie and I'm an online birth educator and birth doula. And I run an online childbirth program called Autonomous Birth Academy to help moms feel calm, capable, and in charge of their birth experience without second-guessing themselves or second-guessing their choices. And from the day I even heard the word doula and learned like what a doula is and what a doula does, there was really no looking back for me. Um, And today I have this thriving birth business centered around autonomous birth. And every day I wake up, just pinching myself, feeling so lucky to have even the smallest positive influence on thousands of moms across the world. And I feel so lucky that I can help women understand that birth doesn't need to be seen as this scary, over-the-top medical event. So that's my mission kind of in a nutshell.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I, I, it's so, it's so amazing when we get to do the things we love to do it just like it makes waking up in the morning so wonderful (laughs) um so let's let's chat about you know why birth isn't a medical event or a condition like you know how are you framing that sort of in your mind or how do you, you know, how do you communicate that to, um, you know, ex- an expecting parent who, you know, has seen things on social media, in movies, has heard things,
1: you know, how do, how do you sort of talk about it? Yeah, so here's the problem with calling birth a medical event. When we call birth as a whole a medical event, we start to pathologize the natural and physiological process of undisturbed birth. And it's very well documented that for the vast majority of women, birth works better when it's just like left alone, left to do its thing. The hormones are needed to give birth work better when a woman is just left alone. So, condition or a medical event it's almost planting the seed that birth doesn't work by itself or that birth needs to be fixed in some way. Right. So I believe that birth doesn't need to be managed as a medical event or an emergency. And my online childbirth course is taught with the view that birth doesn't need to be fixed or treated as a medical emergency, but it's also important to respect that not every woman trusts birth in the way that we do, you know, and, not every woman wants to have an undisturbed birth. For those that do, those that do want an undisturbed birth without interventions or medication, to understand that in some intervention it's and women deserve to be supported in that by their community, but birth in itself is not a medical condition or a medical event. And it works better when we're just left alone.
0: Yeah, I mean, I sort of sometimes, you know, in the process of trying to prepare for for my birth, you know, sort of felt like, you know, am I not good enough to do this on my own? Like is is do 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 I need to have all of these things um, you know, sort of happening to birth well. Um, and you know, I think there's I think there's a spectrum, right? I kind of look at it like the bell curve from like economics where you have, you know, on one end, you know, um individuals who birth really easily and fantastically and it's orgasmic and it's, you know, everything you could possibly sort of imagine. On the other end, of course, there's a there is a portion of individuals who need interventions for Various reasons, and I think it's amazing that you know modern medicine has like come forth that it, in such a way that those individuals can be supported. And then there's like just the normal physiological in between, right? Um, that like I I sort of feel like standard procedure is just sort of blanketly put. Fourth on, you know, everybody, it's like, let's just paint everybody the same, you know, the same color. Um, and I feel like that can be problematic.
1: Yeah. That's not, that's, that's not how medicine should work. So if we're talking about birth in the U S 99% of births are in the hospital, medicine should never be a one size fits all thing. And so, I mean, birth doesn't need to take place in a hospital, but if that's what's happening, I mean, it should not be a, there should be no routine procedures period. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think certainly discussions and uh, you know, yeah, there's, there's just got, there's gotta be a better way. I mean, we have been doing this for a very, very long time before the advent of, you know, more kind of medicalized, um, approach to to birth. And we had techniques and we had things that, you know, we could do to naturally support the physiological birth. And it's just wonderful that, again, medical procedures are available. We're not having, you know, individuals passing away um, during birth the same way that we used to back then. But I feel like sometimes these procedures are just kind of done standardly and it leads to problems that didn't need to happen exactly so how would you redefine like how how do you how do we redefine this away from sort of like it being this medical event condition like how do we talk about it in a way that's more like physiological and more
1: natural yeah so that's a really interesting question because to me normal birth is the way that mammals gave birth for a hundred million years. And it's where mammals find a safe place and a dark place and they just give birth. They just do it. It's that easy. That's normal birth. But what is normal for birth now, especially in the U S like I said, where 99% of births are in a hospital, it's now totally normal to have dozens of unnecessary interventions Because that's just simply the way they do things, like you said. And honestly, oftentimes the evidence doesn't support these routine interventions, but it's been so normalized over the decades that now we don't even think twice about ultrasounds or cervical checks or IVs or continuous monitoring, all of which play a role in birth being pathologized or this idea that like, science and technology could somehow improve upon the intricate hormonal process of birth that really has been perfected over hundreds of millions of years right absolutely i mean you know
0: I, I you know i i i'm kind of nerdy when it comes to like looking at biology and nature and physiology and you know as i read things i'm always in awe of just like how everything works together you know what I mean like if you just Mm -hmm. sort of like sit down and it's like how does the heart know to do what it needs to do without me telling it to you know like it just it kind of like gets very existential for me when I think about like how intricately and beautifully our existence as a you know human being works um Mm -hmm. And similarly for, you know, for birth and as I prepared for mine, like learning more specifically, um, because I took courses with a doula as well, you know, just like learning the physiology of birth. And I was like, wow, there's like a whole bunch of built-in systems Mm -hmm. in our body to like make this sort of proceed. And and I remember her saying, you know, even um, an individual who may be in a coma, who's pregnant, was is able to give birth. And I was just like, wow, like, for me that like, I had to kind of reflect on that. And I just found it so mind boggling that like, the body really, it it, it knows what it needs to do to get us to the end result. Now, when I think about, and maybe uh, you can share share your opinions on this. I mean, I do feel again that there are moments, and there are times, and there are circumstances in which the body knows something that we may not be cognitively aware of. That, like, maybe stalls the labor, or um, you know, ends in a C section. And I just wanted to take a minute to say that I don't feel that that is a failure of the body, but that there's some Inner wisdom that like something's happening that's not going to allow things to happen. I wonder how you sort of think about C sections.
1: Yeah, well, that's really interesting because yeah, it's not a failure of the body, and a lot of times it's like really the wisdom, and it's your your whole your hormones make your birth happen basically, and it's really intricate. So we won't get into too much of that today, but if you're not feeling comfortable birth is not going to happen as easy as if you're very comfortable and you feel safe and you're in a dark place. So that's really interesting. Yeah. It's not, it's not ever about like anti-intervention, right? That's, that's absolutely not what this is. Um, I hate the demonization of intervention as a whole uh, because when we shame intervention as a whole, what are we telling to the moms whose cesarean saved her life or whose cesarean saved her baby's life? So interventions are not inherently bad. This is not anti-intervention. This is anti-routine intervention without a medical indication or without the mother's explicit consent. That's what this is. Agreed. There's not like a kind of birth that's morally superior. Right. But a lot of times people assume that those who've had an intervention free birth, people assume this about me all the time, that they think that I see that as the better option. But it's just simply not true. There's no specific kind of birth that is inherently superior, except a birth where the mother is respected as the ultimate authority over her birth and over her baby and her body. Because that's the kind of birth that I wish for every mother in the entire world. So it's not black and white, right? It's not um, intervention versus no intervention. It's being informed and making decisions without coercion and standing up for your preferences. That is, that's what this is about. So that, that poses that leads me very
0: easily into my next question, which is, you know, how do we stand up for ourselves? Like in birth, like I'm a first time mom, you know, I read books. I I kind of, you know, maybe I take a class, maybe I don't take a class, you know um, how do we, how do we feel more confident? Like because of the way that it's sort of been, you know, Birth medicalized and pathologized, and like we need, you know, this, that, or the other. Like, how do we begin to create trust within our own instincts, intuitions, but like also with knowledge, right? Like, yeah, want to know things, balance,
1: isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I love this topic because I truly believe that this is something that is completely forgotten about in most like childbirth education courses, or just missing from people's birth prep in general. Um, So there's three parts to my answer here. And the first part is to be really intentional about who you choose as your care provider and only choose a care provider that supports you as the ultimate authority of your birth. Because the best case scenario here would be to not even get into a position that you need to be standing up for yourself. That is the goal. But the second way that you can stand up for yourself in birth is to not rely on anyone else to stand up for you. And I hear this one a lot. People think, okay, like I've hired a doula and it's the doula's job to stand up for me, or like that's my partner's job. But I remind moms every day that nobody in this world will be as deeply affected by their birth as they will be. So she needs to take responsibility for that and remember that. She holds the power in the situation. So she needs to ground herself enough and stay calm enough to be able to have hard conversations without shrinking or wavering. And honestly, I could, I could name a million more reasons, but the third way to be prepared to stand up for yourself during birth is to really tune into your intuition and to honor your intuition, because I don't think that you can stand up for your preferences if you don't have any preferences and I want to be clear that standing up for your preferences doesn't mean that you refuse to pivot or that you're attached to your preferences or attached to outcomes. No, it, it means that you understand that birth has the potential to transform your life for better or worse And you understand that the best way to walk away from your birth with a smile is to respect yourself by honoring your intuition and making your voice heard, period. That is the best way to avoid a traumatic birth experience is to to feel heard and seen and to speak up for yourself. So that's something that is really at the core of everything I do in my business.
0: Amazing, yeah. And I, I was reading um, through some studies about, like, you know, um, it was a qualitative study where they were asking women, like, what made your birth positive, and like one of um, one of the uh, things was being able to make decisions, mm-hmm. right? So. Being able to make a decision for yourself about, you know, feeling like you had the ability or the control to make the decisions, not the control of like what's gonna happen specifically in the birth. But and I like the word preferences because it just it it says like, I would prefer this, but Mm -hmm. you know, given the information in the moment, X, Y, or Z, you know, Mm -hmm. my birth preference may change based on what I feel based on what I'm feeling and
1: what I'm being told is the best option Mm -hmm. for me. That's interesting. You say that I was just writing earlier today. And I came up with the idea that our birth goal should not be like about outcomes. Our goal should not be a, a vaginal birth or an unmedicated birth that those are our preferences Our goal needs to be something that we really control ourselves. Like the best goal for birth, in my opinion, is to have an autonomous birth where you are in charge, you're making decisions without coercion, and you're making your voice heard. But as far as having a goal be an outcome, yeah, I don't, I I think that's more of a preference instead of a goal. Fair, fair,
0: or yeah, a, a great way to, to think about it. Um, mm-hmm. so we talk about, or you're, you're talking, we, we've talked about like this intuition, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, how do, how do we become more confident to like hear our body and hear our intuition? Um, you know, how do we build confidence in that? Right. Because you know, again, if I'm first time mom, especially, you know, this is the first time I'm going through it. So how do I know how to read the cues? You know, I think just generally speaking, it's really challenging just mm-hmm. in our day-to-day life to like trust our intuitions. And, and you know, there's, there's a lot of fear, like you, we don't want to get it wrong. We don't want to get the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. And like, I think, especially in birth, it's like, you know, it's the one event, you know, and I've never done it before. So, how do, you know, how do we begin
1: to work with that in preparation for birth? Yeah, you nailed it actually. So, what it really comes down to is that we need to let go of our fear of making the wrong decision because when we have this fear of doing something wrong or making the wrong decision, we tend to second guess what our intuition is telling us. But here's what I have to say about that. Always remember, Always remember that at any point during pregnancy, birth, postpartum, you reserve the right to reassess and to change your mind and to pivot and to throw your preferences out the window. And what I teach is that we want to make choices, but not cling on to them and not attach ourselves to them. So if your intuition is telling you something, listen to that. And if five minutes later it tells you something else, it's okay. To change your mind. So nothing is set in stone in birth or life. And I think that if you aren't scared to make the wrong decision, and if you remember that you can change your mind, and if you trust yourself to just be able to figure it out, then it's a lot easier to quiet your mind and hear your intuition.
0: Yes. Quiet mind and, you know, feeling safe and supported um, really helps with letting the sort of letting the brain kind of feel into what's, what's sort of happening without, uh, you know, without distraction. Right. 100%. So let's chat a little bit about, you know, like what's a good way or what's, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to use good for lack of a better uh, descriptor word, but like, what's a good way to approach interventions? Like, how do we, how do we think about interventions that is not black and white, um, that is more um, open, you know, when we talk about like ID, uh, IDs, IVs, um, induction, cervical exams, even ultrasounds, like, how, how can we frame it in a way that is more positive or like, how do we approach it? Yeah.
1: I think we need to be, um, like I said earlier, we need to know that there's like no morally superior choice. And, um, and we also talked about following your intuition, but when you're faced with a decision in birth, like whether to receive an intervention or not, what you first need to do before anything else is to understand the why. Why are these things being suggested to you in the first place? And like, what's going on in your pregnancy or in your birth that needs intervention? Because I think that doing nothing should always be the default for healthy pregnancies. And like I said earlier, the evidence is really clear that no intervention birth in low-risk pregnancies is the safer option. That doesn't mean it's the better option. Uh, you can choose to have a cesarean literally because you want to. And that is such a valid choice. You can choose to get an induction because you like to know, you know, what's happening and you, you want your baby born on this day and you think you can make it happen. That is a totally valid choice. But in general, this is this is really, I'm talking about the people who aren't sure about what they want. You need to understand the why behind the intervention that's being you know, given to you. And that includes even the smallest interventions that you might think are like no big deal. So like you had said, uh, IVs, you Google it or you ask your provider and a lot of times, oh, there's no, there's nothing wrong with IVs. There's no risk, but it's really just not true. And honestly, IVs have so many risks that we couldn't even talk about in this period today. But I just urge all moms to really understand the why And then to understand that, like I said, even the smallest intervention might spiral into a much bigger intervention. So always take that into account. Okay. Um, So I guess my question
0: would be like, because I'm trying to think from the perspective of of a listener being like, what can happen with an IV? (laughs) Right, Because so, you think of it like, okay, that's not a you know that's not a you know uncommon uh perhaps yeah, an uncommon intervention, common. um you know what the, you know they're probably like, what can happen
1: so really the 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 most basic thing to to the most basic way to explain it would be to like in an overflowing of fluids, um so that can one of the biggest reasons that it gave it, that I didn't want an i v was because. It can actually increase your baby's weight at their birth because there's all this extra fluid. So now your baby weighs a little bit more when they're born. Right. And now as that baby is getting rid of that extra fluid, their weight goes down more than we would think it should go down during that first 48 hour period. And now your provider is saying, okay, you're, you're not breastfeeding well enough. Your baby's losing too much weight. Let's Let's supplement with formula. And it just kind of spirals into this thing where mom thinks that she can't produce breast milk and something's broken with her body. But in reality, like her baby's fine. Her baby just was born heavier because it had all this extra fluid and now it lost it. And like, that's totally fine for the most part. Um, And of course I'm generalizing a little bit, of course, you know, every situation is different, but that's one of the biggest ones. And actually one of the biggest reasons that I think that um, woman who want to breastfeed don't is because that first 48 hours, they think that their body is just not producing enough because there's baby, their baby's weight is going down. Mm.
0: I just try to think of, you know, recently had to get a procedure done and they need to, they needed to put a, you know, an IV in my hand. Um, and I've had past experience. I'm not a, a you know, I, I don't give blood very well. Like it's very difficult for them to like get it in my veins. And so, you know, I've had some past experiences where like getting needles has been really, you know, painful, uncomfortable, emotional, you know, and, and then I wonder, you know, and then it's hard to move your hand around because the things mm-hmm. like in your hand. So like, you know, there are other things
1: just like could be unnecessarily painful and yeah. It brings you out of your like birth hormone brain and back to the like, oh wow, okay, this is a medical procedure. And so your oxytocin, you know, might stop flowing as well. yeah, there's there's so many parts to it. Interesting. I mean, it's an interesting
0: perspective, and I think um, you're right to say, you know, um, in a low, you know, obviously we're talking about low risk and you know, everything's been sort of going forward without, Um, you know, without any concerns, um, again, it's wonderful that we have this medical system that allows us to um, monitor when things are not exactly going or, or there's something that seems a little off. Of course, we want to monitor those things, but for the most part, if there's no complications, you know, the less things that we, you know, get into just keeps the focus on the task versus Mm -hmm you know, the distraction on the medical procedure, right? Mm -hmm. What about due dates?
1: Due dates. I I like to tell mom to stop looking at a date on the calendar and start looking at things that are actually like a little more objective that actually matter, like health markers. Hello. (laughs) The date by itself means nothing. Healthy babies are born at a variety of gestations. And sick babies are born at a variety of gestations. There are healthy babies born at 44 weeks. There are sick babies born at 40 weeks. It's just so case by case. It has nothing to do with this date on a calendar. So I think you should stop attaching yourself to your due date. And if you could understand that your due date could have been calculated wrong and that Also ultrasound size estimates are wildly inaccurate. And I think if you knew both of those things, then maybe you could have a little less anxiety and a little more calm as you approach your due date. So probably the question that I get asked most has to do with, okay, I'm past 40 weeks. I'm a little nervous. What do I do? How do I get this baby here? And it just, I can't relate to that at all, honestly, because I didn't feel that at all. I was, I went nine days past my due date. Um, but it just, it breaks my heart because I think that it causes a lot of stress. Those last couple of days of pregnancy, your birth would benefit from that stress, not being there probably. So that's what I have to say about it. Stop focusing so much on calendar and look at the health workers. look at your vitals, um, count your kicks and, and follow your intuition.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think back to my pregnancy, I was eight days, you know, eight days overdue. Um, and, uh, I I wasn't too, like, there was a little, I would say there was a little bit of stress, but I think I had less stress because I knew that my midwife, like I went with midwives, um, I knew that like we had a discussion, you know, prior to about like what we would, how we would approach um, that. And, you know, they were sort of like, well, we're not going to start becoming overly concerned until two weeks past the due date. Like at that point, you know, we'll we'll, we'll start like looking um, at things a little bit more closely. So I, I knew from that perspective, I wasn't sort of like in this rush or the stress of like, I hope I go into labor before, um, you know, the two weeks. And, and the other thought that I was thinking about the stress part, um, you know, from a physiological perspective, if I'm stressed, my body is registering that something is unsafe or in danger. And if we talk about natural birth, you know, if my body's registering something dangerous, I'm probably not going to go into
1: labor. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Or you're making it, possibly making it even longer. Yeah. 100%.
0: And, and I allude this to like, you know, when we were giving birth, you know, back in the day, I mean, we were subject to elements, you know, we didn't have hospitals, you know, there might be wild animals around or, you know, something of that nature. Right. And so it would be really unsafe for me to birth in an area that is unsafe, right? So Mm -hmm. the body has these natural chemicals and these natural hormones, as you mentioned, to stall. Like you could literally stall midway through labor because there's like a lion approaching. You know what I mean? Like we don't have modern day lions, but you know, the nervous system doesn't know the difference. You know, if I'm feeling stressed, I might stall until I can get to a safe, dark place.
1: Yeah. And that's why a lot of labors stall um, when you get to the hospital. You're at home and it's going quick, and you get to the hospital and you're like, what? I was, you know, five minutes in between contractions at home and now it's 15 minutes. That is your hormones doing their job. So you can thank your hormones for that.
0: Yeah. And so I often, you know, talk with my clients a lot about creating, you know, creating safety, a sense of safety within self. Um, which I think relates back to what you're talking about, that deeper connection to self and trusting, um, but also trying to make the environment as feeling as safe as possible. Certainly in a hospital, things may be a little bit more challenging because, I mean, there are hospital procedures and there's beeping sounds and, you know, lights and people coming in and out kind of thing. Um, But as best as possible, thinking about what are the things that are going to make you feel comfortable in your environment you know, despite noises and perhaps people coming in and out of, you know, coming in and out of the room, like how can you create that inner sense of safety oh, in God, that environment? I that. So I have a question related to like, because, you know, again, this is, I'm, I'm thinking from the perspective of first time mom, you know, isn't really quite sure Um, you know, how to evaluate like risk versus benefit, right? Like, you know, most people aren't of a medical background, you know, yes, they may have taken classes and read some information, but you know, how does, how, you know, do you have any tips for like how somebody can sort of weigh their risks
1: versus benefits? Like, how do you chat about that? Yeah. So that's actually interesting because I think that your care provider really shouldn't be the one evaluating the risk for you because risk is so incredibly subjective to each individual person based on their like entire life's history and their preferences and their religion and beliefs. So when we are talking about risk, it's something that you need to consider for yourself and evaluate for yourself. And of course it's okay to ask other people for their opinion about your situation, right? But in terms of deciding if something is too risky, you and only you need to make that decision.
0: It makes sense, but I can, I can sense a little bit of, you know, a little bit of stress related to that, a little bit of anxiety related oh, to yeah. that, right? Like, it's what, an, it, right. What if I'm wrong? Right again. Yeah. It just kind of comes back to well, what if I'm wrong, or what if I, you know, this person, you know, thinks I should do this, and there's kind of stuff happening, you know. I,
1: but I'm here's just, this. Yep. Here's what I talked. This this is what I asked myself all the time. Would I rather trust my intuition and be wrong, or would I rather go against my intuition, trust somebody else, and they're wrong? I could live with myself if my intuition is wrong, if my risk uh, evaluation is wrong. But if I go against that and it hurts to go against that, and now uh, there's a bad outcome because someone else said something, I, that would be a lot harder to, to mm. overcome. So it's it it's hard. And it's part of this big overarching theme of radical responsibility. So really taking responsibility over your actions and your choices and your emotions. And yeah, it's scary. Sometimes it can feel good to like rely on other people to help you or make decisions for you. But I think everyone should really read that and to to consider for themselves what it is they want and honor that.
0: And I think, you know, I think a lot of I think some of the fears and some of the anxieties is going to come with that sense of um, preparation, right? Um, Like birth inherently is going to have some emotions and some, you know, some charge to it. But if I, you know, I'm certainly going to feel more confident having spent quite a bit of time in preparation versus just sort of walking into a final exam without having done any study. Right. So I think some of the, you know, some of the uh, preparation pieces can allow you to relax because some of the work has already, you've already done the work, you've already done what you've co- what you could do in preparation and that can reduce some of the stress and anxiety. Then you're just dealing with the moment to moment, you know, decision-making Um So how, so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, mental preparation and how one might go to prepare mentally.
1: Yeah. So I, um, I teach five pillars of mental birth preparation, and these are the things that my course autonomous birth Academy are completely built around like the mental prep. And the first one is understanding your options, Truly understanding them and learning how to make informed, intuitive, and autonomous decisions based on your preferences. Because if you don't understand your options, you're going to be looking to other people to make decisions for you, which is kind of what we talked about. And in birth, really, really, you would rather be the one in charge. And you mentioned a little bit earlier that study you were reading about the, um, how do you have a good birth experience? Um, It really comes down to this, that you are the one who's most invested, not only when it comes to the outcome of your birth, but when it comes to your experience, your subjective experience too. Um, And then the second pillar is practicing pain coping skills, like legitimately sit down, set aside time and do intentional pain coping practice where you try all sorts of pain coping techniques until you find ones that actually work for you. Um, that's something that is totally skipped over all the time. So I 100% yeah.
0: agree with you on that, um, you know, on that part, because um, labor pain isn't the same as breaking your ankle
1: pain, mm-hmm.
0: right? There, there are different types of, of pain. And I think learning and understanding pain Um, is really important, but then like actually practicing what you're going to do with unpleasant sensations Mm
1: -hmm. so that
0: when you experience perhaps an unpleasant sensation, it isn't a alarm system, like danger, danger, stress, like, you know, kind of alarm bells firing. It's more like, oh, okay. I've, I've experienced something similar to this sort of discomfort. I have the knowledge to understand it. And these, you know, when you practice the techniques again, you don't have to think about them. Yes. They become muscle. I call it muscle memory or mental memory. Like you don't have to think about what was that breathing technique again? And how do I do that? And what, you know, you're just doing it because now your body has been processing and practicing that you just, you know, what you're trying to achieve and strive for that. You don't have
1: to like think about all the steps, right? 100%. And you said something really cool too, that, um, we're not trying to get rid of the pain we're not trying to get rid of the the sensation. We're trying to get rid of the fight or flight response of the stress response to it. Um, and yeah, with that practice, you're going to call upon it subconsciously pretty easy, honestly, if you really practice. So that is definitely one of my pillars. (laughs) Awesome. Um, the third mental birth prep pillar is overcoming your fears because fears get in the way in more ways than one, but I'll just say that releasing your fears prior to your birth will make for an all around better birth experience. Your hormones can do what they were meant to do and you'll just have like less tension and tension actually goes back to pain. So less tension is less pain. So really face your fears head on. Um, the fourth one is developing your personal autonomy. And we talked about a lot today too, but it includes tuning into your intuition, honoring your intuition, and it includes building your confidence and literally practicing saying no, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right. Practice saying no, it's weird. It's awkward, but play through the situations in your head, um, stand in front of the mirror and just practice saying no. Um, It also includes living authentically and living without fear of judgment and taking responsibility for your thoughts and your choices. And it's it's really it's one of the most important parts of preparing for birth. I put it under the mental birth prep because, you know, it's something you're doing in your own mind, developing your your sense of worth and your. uh, But it's it's really ignored a lot in mainstream birth prep. So don't free (laughs) hearts. And then the last pillar of preparing your mind for birth is calming your mind. Uh, So meditation skills, even if you're like, absolutely hate meditation, I think you should do it every single day, (laughs) living mindfully and purposefully slowing your reaction to discomfort. Like we said, slowing that fight or flight reflex. Um, But the most important part is what it comes down to is, and you nailed it is that, you birth, how you live. You have to be doing these things every day. So you can call upon them. Um, and when I say you you birth, how you live, what I mean is like, you're not going to have a calm birth if you aren't calm in your normal life. And you're not going to be able to handle the intensity of birth. If you totally freak out at small discomforts in your everyday life, you need to be practicing the mindset skills every single day, So much so that they become second nature, like you said, because when it comes to giving birth, you want to be able to subconsciously call upon the calm energy that you already know and you've already practiced and you've already embodied during your pregnancy. That is like the pinnacle of an amazing birth prep. And that is how, you know, you're like, so completely ready for birth is when you've really practiced embodying that, that calmness.
0: And so I have kind of two, two, two comments to say to that. So first and foremost, my one comment is about the nervous system, right? So we talked about fight or flight and it's not about like not having it activated, right? We need the parts of our fight or flight system to help us mobilize, meaning we need to be able to move. So we need mobilization, but we need mobilization without fear because, um, and, and it's about, I think recognizing when your system is mobilized with fear and when your system is mobilized with safety, like you can have fluttering and excitement, right? And feel completely safe. That's still part of that fight or flight system. And then there's like anxiety, fear, worry, stress, tension. And even if that happens, it's not about like preventing that system from going there. It's about being able to recognize that you've gone there and saying, whoa, okay, let me reevaluate and let me pull myself, you know, back into this safety. And the only way, right, you, you become more effective at it when you practice techniques of calming. Right. You begin to pull yourself back into the calmness and settle down that system. But if you are constantly in that system and you don't even know what calm feels like, (laughs) it's going to be very difficult to recognize that you're in that system. I love that. Yeah, that's so spot on. So spot on. Right? So that's why you want to practice. And um, I also wanted to mention about meditation because I know there are people that are like, I just can't sit down and do it. There are, you know, and I would add to say that there are some mindfully, mindfully based movement practices that you can do that is a meditation but you're just moving like taking a mindful walk in Mm -hmm. the forest you know what i mean like really feeling how your foot lands on the ground you know stopping to smell quote-unquote the roses really looking around the environment and sort of just trying to be present in that particular moment where you're focusing on breathing but you're kind of walking in a forest. I mean, there are some movement based mindfulness practices, but I agree that practicing that mindfulness piece was extremely valuable because I did it. And I like, that was like, I was, I started meditation in my pregnancy and I made, you know, I'd be watching TV and I put it on pause and I'm like, it's meditation time, you know, and I made sure to fit in. 15 minutes of practicing that calm. Cause uh, I think it really made a positive impact in my birthing experience.
1: I've never heard a mom say, wow, I meditated too much in my pregnancy, <laughs> <laughs> but I have heard a mom say, wow, I did not do that enough before my birth. So, yeah. <laughs> and the other piece, um, and I
0: think this relates to pillar four, but anyways, um, I was reading something recently um, about Serena Williams and her, um, and her birth experience where after she had given birth, she felt something within her body was not right. Right. She was having some difficulty breathing, I believe. Um, and I just watched a movie on Netflix too, that was like, um, a woman had given birth and same thing fainted and ended up having blood clots in, in the lungs. Right. And Um, So Serena Williams story was like, she was saying like, there's something not right. Like we should, like, I need to have, you know, I need to have the CT scan or something. Um, And the medical, I guess, physicians decided to do a different test. Um, I mean, thankfully they ended up doing the CT and found that there were clots, um, I think in her lungs, but it just go. And the article was talking about how like, we need to make sure that our voices are heard and that we you know, that we vocalize them, right? Um, Because she knew she instinctively knew something wasn't right. And so also taking not taking no for for an answer, right? Like if you need or something feels off, making sure um, that we want to make sure that the medical system does listen to so it's on both sides, right? Like, feeling confident and saying, no, I don't want this. Cause it's not my preference. And then also like not taking no for, for an answer. If something feels off you like following your intuition to say like something doesn't feel X, Y, or Z, um, and, and advocating for yourself that way too.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, um, I mean, you don't, you don't have to stop. If someone's not listening to you, you can you ask for, uh, They're superior. Ask for a new nurse, ask for a new doctor. Um, This is your life and your birth and you're worth it. So yeah, make your voice heard and don't back down. Yeah.
0: So you've sort of mentioned that the, these pillars are sort of part of your um, autonomous birth Academy, you know, can you tell us a little bit about like what that,
1: what that program sort of looks like, what, what it entails, yeah so Autonomous Birth Academy is a comprehensive and non-judgmental online birth course rooted in autonomy and mindset and it will help you prepare for the birth that you want whatever that looks like for you so If you're still trying to conceive or if you're already pregnant and you're looking for a birth course, this is the answer to preparing for your birth in a way that will give you the foundation to start your motherhood journey with as little stress as possible. It is lifetime access to an eight-week course 100% online and pre-recorded video lessons. And it's self-paced with live support inside a private community. And the doors are actually open right now for a limited time. Awesome. Where can people find out more? Where can people find you and follow you? Yeah, so I'm actually teaching two free online classes this week on Wednesday, July 21st. And in those free classes, I will show you exactly how to go with the flow during your birth without giving away your power and without setting unrealistic expectations. And in those classes, you will learn the single biggest mindset shift that moms need to make before going with the flow in birth. So whether you're feeling stuck, unsure how to actually prepare for your birth or struggling to pull all the pieces together so you can finally relax, this will be the turning point that you've been waiting for. And it's completely free and welcome for anybody to join um, on July 21st. So more than anything else I want to help you bring your baby into this world exactly how you've envisioned with full autonomy and fully in your power. So for that you can go to theautonomymommy.com/register to save your seat for the free class. Um, But if you're ready to fully commit to your birth prep and you're ready to say no to your doubts and yes to the birth of your dreams, then I want to invite you to enroll in Autonomous Birth Academy risk-free while the doors are open until Thursday, uh, July 22nd. And you can learn more about that at theautonomymommy.com slash enroll. Amazing. Okay. So we'll put the
0: links in the show notes for everybody to make life easier to just be able to copy, paste, click, um, for more information. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat about birth and, you know, have a chat about natural birth and, reframing birth and talking about building confidence and i think that's the really big thing is like just helping to put the power back in the individual who's giving birth and helping them feel confident and strong and capable and wonderful and that's what you know what we want to do and strive for is having more positive birth experiences and so yeah thank you thank you so much And I want to thank our listeners for joining us on this podcast. Uh, Be sure to subscribe and of course, share this episode out with uh, any friends or family who might be expecting to, you know, help them, help them think about birth differently. And uh, we want them to have a positive experience too. So on that note, we will connect with everybody on the next podcast. Thanks again. Hey guys, thanks for hanging out. So as I mentioned at the beginning, we have recently released a free mini training called How to Work with Labor Pain to Have a Positive Birth Experience. And in this mini training, I take you through what pain is, how labor pain is different than like an acute ankle sprain type of pain. I talk about the three different ways that you can work with pain And then at the end, I actually teach three different ways that you can work with labor pain to have a more positive birth experience. If you would like to access this free mini training, you can go to courses.ecophysio.com forward slash mini training, or you can look in the description of today's podcast episode At the end of the description, a link will be there for you to get the free mini training. Hope to connect with you there. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.